It's been a while since I've done any hiking. Uh, for a while there, hiking was a big part of my life. I, I really, I still enjoy it. I, I, whenever I get a chance, I like to go. And thankfully, Gracie has become quite the hiking partner. She really likes to go with me, and we've taken some great hikes through um, Turkey Run and uh, uh, Shades of Shades of Death Park. I don't know if you've ever been to Shades, but it's. They call it just Shades now. Originally, it was Shades of Death. It was, a, it was an amazing little place. Um, we've taken some great hikes. Time being what it is, I, I just haven't had that much time to get away and go on the long hikes like I used to and go up the mountains like I used to. Time being what it is, I don't feel as much like going up those mountains as I used to either. Uh, that's gotten harder. And uh, one of the last really difficult hikes I went on, uh, there was a series of unfortunate events and, and some bad circumstances that came together that made that walk challenging and, uh, and it even made it a little scary. Uh, some of us were going hiking in southern Indiana at an area called Deem Lake. Um, it's a forest preserve down there. And, and we had planned this hike out quite a ways in advance and, and some things fell apart at the last few minutes and people backed out that didn't want to go and and so suddenly there, were, there weren't as many of us going. It was only an eight-mile walk. And I thought, well, I, I need to get in, in shape for this eight-mile hike. And so I was walking four miles every day. I thought four miles a day will get me in shape for an eight-mile walk. That's, that's not a problem. And, and during that four-mile walk every day, I would drink one bottle of water. And that's what it would take me to get through four miles. And so I thought, well, if, if one bottle gets me through four miles, then obviously for an eight-mile hike, I need to pack two bottles of water, and that will be plenty. It was nowhere near enough. The other thing was that that particular summer, it had been really mild all summer. It was a beautiful summer. And, uh, and everything had been really nice and mild, and temperatures there in the 70s, it was great. But the night before the hike, a thunderstorm blew in and just drenched everything and then blew back out the next morning. And the next morning when the sun came out, it got hot and it got humid, the temperatures were in the mid-90s, and I found that I was very unprepared with the heat and the humidity and too little water. I was very unprepared for the challenge. Somewhere around 2 or 2.30, uh, I had already drank all my water, and somewhere around 2.30, I stopped sweating. That's a bad sign if you stop sweating. I, uh, I stopped sweating, and I realized that I was probably in trouble. Um, there was another bit of poor planning, and this was completely, it was all my fault, but this one was, was really dumb on my part. Those, those four miles I walked every day in preparation, I was walking those out of the cemetery on the edge of town, on a flat path out of the cemetery. Um, and so that was, that was one thing, but those eight miles on that hike... Those were with elevation changes, up and down hills. On top of that, Deem Lake got hit by a tornado several years earlier, and they still hadn't cleaned up all the debris. So there were places we had to go under debris, and other places we went over debris, and other places we went around debris. And every now and then, I would look at the map on my GPS and realize we had gotten so far off the path that it was going to take far more than eight miles to complete it. Out of water not sweating and exhausted, and I looked down, and, and the map says that we are way off the path. It was not a good day. 
So here in Colossians, four times in this letter, Paul uses the expression of walking with Jesus. And whenever I think about walking, I think about a nice trip to the park. Maybe it's a pretty Sunday afternoon and we go out and we, we take a little walk. But, but he uses this imagery of walking. And, and the passage we're looking at today, the call is to walk in Christ. Not with Christ, but in Christ. And as, as, prepared, as I prepared for this lesson, I, I've been thinking about the lessons I learned on that ill-prepared hike in southern Indiana. And I realized that if we're walking in Christ, it might be best if we know where we're walking to. And it might be best to know how to prepare for a walk like this. We're looking there in chapter 2, verses 16 through 15. It's page 984 in the blue Bibles that are there in the pews. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of those and, and follow along. I encourage you to do that. There's something new in this passage. We've made it through chapter 1 of Colossians. There's something new in this passage that we've not yet seen in this letter. There is a command. Paul makes a statement in this letter that he says, you must do this. And it's right there in verse 6, the very first verse. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so Walk in Him. Walk in Him is a command. You must do this. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, you have to respond to that. You have to do something with that. He says you walk in Him. That doesn't sound difficult, does it? Just a walk. Unless you make some wrong turns. Unless the, the, the road gets a little rough. Unless you're not prepared and there are obstacles and there are rough spots in your life and in your walk. And unless the path takes you on turns you're not ready for. But those are all the realities of walking in Christ. So how can we ensure that our walk in Christ stays in Christ? How do we stay in His path, in His guidance, and in His heart? I want to look at those first two verses, 6 and 7. Again, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So if you think of walking in Christ in terms of a hike, there are things that you should do to prepare for this walk. And Paul lays them out for us here. What he tells us is that on this walk, on walking with Christ, Jesus is our map. He is the map for this hike. I want you to notice carefully again what that command is in verse 6. The command is not... Walk with Jesus. The command is walk in Him. It's a little strange, isn't it? I mean, we're used to thinking about walking with Jesus. There's a cute little kid song that we teach the little kids. You know, you might teach the little kids in Sunday school or VBS. There's a little song called Walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus. Walking every day. All along the way. Walking in the sunshine. Walking in the sunset. It's a, it's a beautiful little song. It sounds really nice. Pope Francis has a book out. And... Uh, the title of the book is Walking with Jesus. I mean, it sounds like a, like a wonderful and pleasant, sounds like a nice afternoon stroll, you know? It's, it sounds like a wonderful thing. But, but the fact is, when you walk with someone, you walk at different paces sometimes. And, and sometimes you even walk different paths. When Grace and I were walking to the Punch Bowl last spring at Turkey Run, I took the high road and, and she took the low. I took the the rocky part, you know? I mean, because if anyone's going to fall and break a leg, you want it to be the guy who can drive, right? So uh, I, I took the, the high road, the, the craggy walk, and she took the, 
the low road that, uh, that was a little bit safer. But you do that when you're on a hike with someone. Or at times you say, I need to stop here and do something. You go on ahead and I will catch up. And, and you stop and you do that thing that you need to do while you're out there hiking along. But walking in Christ, that's, that's different. It's not like that. You walk in Him. You live and move within His very being. He's not your partner on the walk. He's your map. You find your way in Christ. You find your way in Him and in His heart. Paul qualifies that command. Walk in Christ. How do we do that? He qualifies it with different expressions. And First of all, he says, rooted and built up in Him. Those are two very different words with two very different meanings, but when we put them together, there's a lot of grace in that. There's a lot of hope in that. Rooted. It it's the idea that a foundation has been laid. In fact, it is done. It, it is complete. The foundation has been laid for you when you accept Jesus as Lord. The, the, there are days when we don't feel it. There are days when we don't feel all that saved. You know what I mean. There's days when you feel guilty or you feel weak or you just don't feel like you're, like you're really there. And, and I think our enemy loves to play at us on those days and kind of pick at us and say, well, then are you really saved? But the reminder is we are rooted. It is an established fact you are saved jesus said on the cross it is finished it's done you are rooted the other half of it is built up or more properly being built up and it's a process it's a process that's still happening it's the process of making you more and more like jesus i you know are you there yet? I'm not there yet. I'm not as, as much like Jesus as I need to be. I'm not anywhere near where I need to be on that. Uh, but you realize it's a process that's happening. The path we're on isn't easy. It twists and it turns. And there's times when we wonder, are we going the right direction? Or uh, We're not always sure. And so our confidence is in the rooted part. That part is finished. That part is done. It gives us the confidence to walk on and to trust Him. There's a great Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. And I love the way it's, it, it's translated in the, in the NIV version. Uh, I love the way the NIV puts it. It says about Jesus, For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We are still in the process of being made holy. That process will continue till the day we die. Uh, but in God's eyes it is finished he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy there's a lot of distractions on our walk and there's a lot of opportunities to get off the path back in chapter one we saw that there's a big if this stuff this is all true if you continue in the faith and even worse, there are people who want you off the path. There are people who make things difficult. Verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive by a hollow philosophy or empty deceit. We talked about that in Sunday school a little bit today and about how that there are some very hollow ideas that are uh, be, being, being made known these days. There's no substance to them biblically, but people are buying into these ideas. There are people out there who, who want to confuse us. They want to sell us something that sounds good. You know, those slick lines we looked at last week. There are things that people believe, and they believe them very sincerely, but if there's no Christ in them, then what good are they? Verses 9 and 10, he goes on 
And he says, for in him that is in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That's our identity in Christ. We are identified in him. If you and I are walking in Christ, then any belief that we have about ourselves, any philosophy that we have about ourselves or understanding about ourselves has to include Christ. Because if not, is it really about us? Is it really for us? It's one of the reasons I love this idea of being rooted and built up. Rooted has that permanentness. We are in Christ. It is set. Built up has that idea that we're still growing and we're still learning. And and on this journey, we have to understand that standing still is not an option. That should go without saying, really. We're not standing in Christ. We are walking in Christ. You will move. You will change. You will grow. He will take you to some places that are very unlike who you are now. You know, part of the problem with my preparation for that bad hike, part of the problem was I was walking in circles out here in the cemetery. Just a mile outside of town, and I was walking in circles, and and I thought that was going to prepare me for this long hike over some pretty rough rough terrain. No, I I was on flat ground, going in circles. I was a mile from home. If anything had gone wrong, or if I just didn't feel like finishing, I could just get in my car, turn on the air conditioning, and drive home. It was, it was that easy. It was, a, it was a mile outside of town. But out there on the trail, out there when things got tough, there wasn't the ability to do that. You understand, life-changing walks don't happen on level paths. When Jesus calls you to walk in Him, you're not going to the park for the day. It's going to be rough. There's going to be some difficult spots. Standing still is not an option. And, and Paul illustrates that for us with baptism. Uh, he talks about baptism there in verse 12. He says, having been, he's talking about you, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. There came a time in, in many of our lives when we made a decision, when we decided to change our path, and we did that through baptism. But the problem is, for many of us, we were taught, or we came to believe, that baptism was the goal. We thought that was it. We thought that was the, that was the finish line. We, we came out of the water, and we thought, well, we've arrived. We're saved. We're, we're perfect. And this is as good as it gets. And there was probably someone standing right there with a clipboard and asking you what, what Sunday school class you wanted to teach. And you know, did you want to be an elder? And all these things, you know, they, they probably immediately signed you up for something. But hopefully at some point we realized that that was just the beginning. We hadn't arrived. Baptism isn't the finish point on the journey. It's a vital step, yeah, but, but there's more. You, know, you go back to verse 7. He speaks of being established in the faith. Established in your faith might be a more proper way of understanding. It means being made firm in your faith. You can't be made firm in your faith while you're still wet from the baptistry. It's okay. You're going to have to grow. You're going to have to develop. And it's okay. It's okay if the things you believe today are different than the things you believed yesterday. And it's okay if the things you believe tomorrow aren't quite the same as the things that you believe today. Um, when, when, you, when you grow, things change. When the things you believe it's okay when the things that you believe are different than what your parents believed or your grandparents believed. We're, we're all on a journey, and all we can do is live up to what we've already received at this point. You've got to give yourself permission to grow in the faith. You also have to give yourself opportunity. 
to grow in the faith. He says, established in the faith as you were taught. Being taught is an important part of that. Coming here on Sunday morning and trying to stay awake during one of these sermons, that's great. But there's more. Uh, There's more to being taught than just this. Uh, There's so much more. That's why we have Bible studies and Sunday school classes, and we have groups that get together, and we have people that get together and serve. But beyond anything that we can do for you, you also have to take time to, to, to grow yourself and to read and pray and study and nourish your faith. Establish. The idea of established is is strengthened. You want faith that will see you through any challenge that's ahead of you. Now, what's that look like? What's that look like daily? But what does that look like when we come out the other side of it? What's that come, look like when we come out the other end of this journey? And what Paul shows us is if you walk in Christ, if you walk with, not just with Jesus, but in Christ, you will never be the same again. This is no walk in the park. This is no nice stroll with Jesus. The process of being rooted, that process of, of, of laying a firm foundation, it requires that you dig up a lot of old stuff. It requires that you get rid of a lot of old debris. And you can't build up without first tearing down something else. And there's a lot of things within us that end up needing to be torn down. There's a lot of attitudes that need to be torn down. There's, there's a lot of beliefs that need to be torn down. There's a lot of habits that we've got to tear down. There's even some relationships that need to be torn down before God can build what He needs built up within us. We will spend a lifetime on this journey and we will never finish it here. And what will you get for all your trouble? Verse 7 concludes with the words, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. It might be more proper to think of it as overflowing because the picture there is that of a riverbank overflowing, you know, a river overflowing out of its banks. It, it seems to be one of Paul's favorite words and one of his favorite images. He uses that word overflowing 26 times in his letters. 26 times he he uses that. It's almost two times for each letter. And just like the never-ending work of being built up, the never-ending work of being established in our faith, thanksgiving never ends. And for the growing Christian, it becomes continual, even becomes habitual. And as hard as this walk is at times, as difficult as it is, as much as it will tax you and, and as much as you will suffer, he calls us again and again to give thanks. He centers thanksgiving not on the good things that happen to us you know it's easy to give thanks for the good stuff it's easy uh, every november to remember what we're thankful for that's not where paul centers thanksgiving he centers it on christ on christ himself on the fact of of our salvation through him he says in verse 13 and you you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Wow. How many trespasses? <laughs> all our trespasses. All those things I did way back then, yeah, they're all gone. All those things that, that the enemy every now and then draws up and says, do you remember when you did this? Do you remember when you failed? Do you remember when you lost, you lost your temper here? Do you remember when you did that? Yeah, all of them. Hmm. Sorry, I got distracted there with that. He's forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in the very one 
that you are walking in. What began with a walk in Christ is rooted and built up. You establish your faith in Him, and in the end, you are made alive together with Him. You are alive because you have walked in Him. Could there be any better response to that than overflowing with thanksgiving? So sometime on the, in the afternoon on that hike, um, I was desperate to go on. I really wanted to finish it. But I sat down under a tree, and I realized things weren't going well, and I probably wasn't going to make it. We, we all realized Brett probably wasn't going to make it out of here, and they didn't want to carry me. And so we sat there and, and thought about it, and, and suddenly the realization came that I have a friend named Mark, and, and Mark, we realized he lived in that same area. In fact, he lived just down the road somewhere. We didn't know exactly where. Mark had kind of arranged this hike for us. He had set this up. He didn't go with us because he had to work, but, but he had arranged for the hike. And so we got to thinking, well, you know, we, we probably could call Mark. And we didn't have any cell phone signal, of course, but we found ourselves up on a ridge, and we found a spot, and we called Mark, and he had just gotten off work. He was on his way home. We told him where, where we were, and he knew immediately by our description what had happened. And he said, you know, there's a fire road not far from where you are now. I, you know, it's only for official use, but Mark knew how to get to the fire road. And he said, I, I will meet you. I can get my car onto that fire road, and I will meet you there if you start hiking in this direction. He told us where to go, and we got off the trail, and we made through some rough stuff, and then suddenly we came out on this nice flat road, a lot like the one that I had been walking on for weeks. And, and we, we walked a little further, and we could hear a car horn. And it got louder and louder and louder. And then I saw the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. Show, show them what I saw. This is the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. <laughs> My friend Mark with two big bottles of water. I didn't care what brand they were, but there he was with these waters. And the most beautiful. Oh, he was. Pr I could have kissed him. I wouldn't have, but I could. This 60-year-old guy in hiking shorts and a t-shirt, looking kind of smelly and looking kind of scraggly, is the prettiest thing I had ever seen. And uh, he, had the, he had exactly what I needed. You can take Mark down again now. But he had exactly what I needed that day. He had water. Um, this is odd, and, and I don't know, I guess some nurses and medical people here are going to tell me just how stupid everything I did was, but... I opened that bottle, and I, I, I took a big drink, and the water tasted awful. It tasted like Mark had put salt in the water. And, and I sat in the back of the car on the way uh, back out and drinking it, thinking, what did you do? Are you poisoning me? Because it, it tasted salty. And finally I said, Mark, did you put anything in there? He said, no. And I, later I found out what had happened was I was so depleted of minerals that I could actually taste the minerals in the water, water that you and I think tastes just fine. It's got minerals in it, and I could taste those because those were completely out of my system. You think about water. I mean, we drink it because it refreshes us. We drink it because it quenches our thirst. We drink it because it, you know, clears up the cough that we've been having. But that day, the water that Mark gave me saved me. What he gave me saved my life. I may be a little bit of overly dramatic in that, but, but it felt like it saved me anyway. I'm never going to promise you that walking in Christ is easy. 
I'm never going to tell you that this is a nice little stroll. This journey is hard, and it will break you before it remakes you. The process of being built up is going to require that a lot of you get torn down first. A lot of the parts of you that you love are going to have to get torn down. The process of establishing faith means letting go of everything else that you have held on to so that you can hold on to faith. But in the end, the promise is that you will be overflowing with thanksgiving, that you will never stop giving thanks because He is exactly what you need. We're all on this journey. I can't tell you where you are with yours, but, but our goal here is to help you find your next step. Help you find that next place on your journey. In a few minutes, we're, I'm going to pray. Here, just a, just a couple of moments. I'm, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and we're going to dismiss. And we've got lunch. Please stick around. We want to talk with you. We want to share with you. I mean, I don't know what other plans you got, but at least stick around. Grab a cookie. We got some great looking cookies, and there's a Texas sheet cake back there. And even if you don't want a sandwich, we got we got other stuff that you really really need. You know, like Texas sheet cake. Uh, we'd love to spend a little time with you. But in a few moments, when I, I'm going to pray. And while I do that, the guys are going to open these two doors or this door over here, and a few men and women are going to go back into my office. The door is unlocked. I hope the door is unlocked. And, and they're going to be there. And if, if you'd like a few, someone just to pray with or someone just to talk with, if, if there's anything that you're, you're kind of curious about, what's my next step? What do I do next? We want to be there for you. We want to help you through that. And we want to share some time with you and, and get to know you a little bit better at lunch today. So let's stand together and let's pray. Lord Jesus, every person in this room today is on a journey with you. A lot of us, we were promised too many times that there would be level paths and it would be an easy route. But at some point, the road became rough and the path was hard to find. But as difficult as it has been, you have never left us alone. Wherever we are on that journey today, whether someone here is just starting out or further along that path, I pray that we can make this hike together with each other and in You. You've called us out and You've called us together to do just that. Now in a few moments, we're going to go in the other room and we're going to share a meal. I thank You for those who have prepared it for us. I thank You for the time that we have to visit and spend some time together. Use the food to nourish our bodies. Use the time together to nourish our souls. And we ask that this week on our journey that You guide our paths. Guide our paths in Your will so that we'll know your presence with every step. And I pray you bring us back together safely next week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.